Hey, this is JJ French from Twisted Sister, and you're listening to Everything Fab 4 on Salon.com. Welcome to Everything Fab Four, a new podcast focused on fun and intelligent stories about the Beatles. I'm your host, Ken Womack, music culture columnist for Salon.com and a Beatles scholar and historian. No other band or popular phenomenon, for that matter, has enjoyed the global impact of the Beatles. They are part of our human fabric. They created an enduring music that brings people together, and just about everyone has their own Beatles story to tell some that are surprisingly deep and unexpected. With each episode, we'll be featuring a new guest to share their Fab Four journey, along with amazing theme music from Black Rabbit. Remember, it's a Beatles world, and everybody has a story. When the Beatles hit the United States and all the screaming kids were out there on the tarmac welcoming the planes... And uh, and we're like, what in the world? Well, we had heard, you know, about about the music, you know, from coming from England, and it, they were saying, well, it's a British invasion. The British invasion, British yes, invasion. Was, well, what is it? <laughs> the Beatles, you know, and the kids were screaming, and they said, oh my God, what's going on? And you couldn't hear a word they were singing because the kids were screaming so loud. <laughs> Today's guests are Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Together, they make up 40% of pop music's fifth dimension. McCoo began her career as a member of the High Fives, a frequent opening act for Ray Charles. She met Billy Davis Jr. in 1966 when he co-founded the Fifth Dimension. The group's first big hit was 1967's Up, Up, and Away, written by legendary songwriter Jimmy Webb. The song won four 1968 Grammy Awards and was the title track to The Fifth Dimension's first hit LP. A year later, the group recorded Laura Nero's Stone Soul Picnic. The Fifth Dimension's medley of Aquarius Let the Sunshine In from the musical Hair reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the spring of 1969 and won a Grammy for Record of the Year. The group's recording of another Nero composition, Wedding Bell Blues, topped the Hot 100 that November. In the early 1970s, McCoo sang lead on the group's remaining chart-topping singles, including One Less Bell to Answer, Last Night I Didn't Get to Sleep at All, and If I Could Reach You. In 1975, McCoo and Davis left the Fifth Dimension and began performing as a duo. Landing a contract with ABC Records, they recorded their 1976 debut album, I Hope We Get to Love in Time, which included the smash hit, You Don't Have to Be a Star Baby to Be in My Show which topped the Billboard charts in January 1977. That same year, they became the first African-American married couple to host a network television series, The Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. Show on CBS. In the 1980s, McCoo hosted the popular music countdown series, Solid Gold. Married since July 1969, McCoo and Davis celebrated their golden wedding anniversary in 2019. Their latest album is entitled Blackbird, Lennon-McCartney Icon. Welcome, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. It is a great privilege to welcome you guys to the show. And I got to tell you, I get a lot of questions about when did I discover the Beatles? But the truth is, I'm a kid who grew up in the 70s, so I'm a latecomer to that band. 
but one of my earliest memories is hearing the Fifth Dimension singing up, up, and away on the radio. And that was my introduction to popular music. Guess what, Ken? We're old enough to remember the Beatles being on Ed Sullivan back in the 60s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I am the proud owner of your new CD, uh, Blackbird, Lennon-McCartney Icons, and your cover version of Blackbird is superlative. That song never really seems to age, does it? No, it, it's it's a it's a the reason why it's a human rights song, you know, and uh, it seems like when we have times like what's happening now, it's 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 the time for people to hear that song. It is, and it, it, would you th- would you say that as far as Paul McCartney goes, it's probably um, a, a singular tune in that regard for him, in terms of speaking about global human rights, and of course, issues that hit right here at home in the USA. Yes. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's so interesting that when we first heard it, when and I think when the world first heard it, it was back in the 60s, uh, when we were in the midst of, a, of another very controversial period in, in, in our lives. Yeah. There are times, it seems, when things, to my mind, have even regressed uh, since the 1960s. What do you guys see out there? Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's frustrating because you feel like when you've gone through it, that when you've, got, when you've got, gotten to it, you've gone through it. Yeah. And you feel like people have learned so much that we're all on one accord only to find out that we aren't. When we've gone so far and, and, and think that everything is, 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 uh, is moving forward, and then something like like the January 6th happened to remind us that we're still right back where we started. And, and But I don't think we are where we started, but I think that there's so much of that still going on that, that's been covered up. It just, something just brought it out. Clearly your new project, Blackbird, Lennon, McCartney Icons, is related uh, to the civil unrest we're experiencing and a desire to comment about it, right? What was so... Uh, interesting was when we were talking about our project and we were talking with our young producer, Nick Mendoza and uh, our millennial producer. Our, our, our millennial, <laughs> yeah. My husband's always correcting me because <laughs> I, I'm not really one for labels, you know, well, but okay. Well, our millennial well, producer, well, Nick Mendoza. <laughs> well, we're old enough to call him millennial. Well, that's true. <laughs> we won't call ourselves what we are. No. <laughs> but, you know, so we were talking to Nick about, ideas and and um and we were talking about the Beatles and their music and and it just seemed like Blackbird was such a perfect message mm-hmm. to be singing about delivering to the people and and Nick said that this is what my generation mm-hmm. is is believing and and that's where our hearts are and he just felt like that Blackbird was just such a perfect statement to make, and we could we were all on one accord. Well, one of the things too, Ken, is that we could see who was out there marching with with, with Black Lives Matter. Yes, I mean those youngsters were, were were determined to 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 take to take things forward. You know. Yes. And so that, that's why Nick wanted to know where do we stand with this? Yes. Stuff? Yeah. And not only that, but it's like. When when we talk about Black Lives Matter, it's like saying yes, and all lives matter. That's right. And when when we lose our loved ones, we all hurt the same. As a college professor, I, I'm so proud of today's generation and our students because these guys show up. 
when they believe in something, they're there. Yes. Yes, they show up and and and, and they show out. And they show out. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yes. Today's generation is a tremendous silver lining, uh, which gives us, from my perspective, again as a university professor, tremendous hope for the future. Yeah, uh-huh. I know what you mean. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, we would drive around the city, and and long after uh, after a lot of the protests were over, the kids were still in the streets holding up their signs, and you know, it's just like, my God, this is really beautiful, yes. and, and they're they- really dedicated and, and, and committed. And making sure that their hearts and their minds were being heard. Yes. Well, given that this is, you know, everything fab for the podcast, do you guys have any recollections you'd like to share about the first time you saw, and I guess more importantly, heard the Beatles? And we remembered when when the Beatles hit the United States and yes. all the screaming kids were out there on <laughs> the, the tarmac the, welcoming and, the planes and... Yes. and uh, and we're like, what in the world? Well, we had heard, you know, about about the music, you know, from coming from England, and and it was like it, they were saying, that, well, it's a British invasion, the British invasion, British yes, invasion. Was, well, what is it? You know, the <laughs> Beatles, you know, and the kids were screaming, and I said, oh my God, what's going on? And you couldn't <laughs> hear a word they were singing because the kids were screaming so loud. <laughs> And I suppose you guys saw them on that fateful Sunday night in February 1964 on the Ed Sullivan Show, right? Yes, we oh, did. Yeah, yeah. You know, when the whole United States saw them, we saw them on the Sullivan Show. And the kids were screaming then. And we were saying, yeah. "Is okay, well, okay, This, this, if this is what people are wanting to hear and they're very excited about it. And we said, well, let's, let's listen to it and, and see what we get from it. So what was that? What was your first impression then of those new songs? Oh, I, myself, I thought it. I thought it was really good. I, I, I was I was so into music during the time until I was I was listening to everybody's stuff, you know. And I, I you know, you listen to, being an artist, you listen to stuff so you can get stuff, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I was listening to them and just seeing where they were coming from, and they, and, and and I enjoyed them a lot. And one thing that was so cool about the Beatles is that here they were uh, reintroducing to the United States music that came from the United States, the blues and yeah, the yeah. artists that that they were turned on to, and and uh, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the people listening to the radio. It's like, well, that's a cool song. Where did that come from? And they would they would tell them that's one of your blues artists. Well, that's what they, they were doing it in the English style. <laughs> yes, right. But but you could hear the influence. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. Well, and they loved it. I mean, they adored those artists. Oh yes, they did. Yeah, they talked about that a lot too. They always talked about how they used to how they used to listen to Muddy Waters and Jimmy Reed and Howlin' Wolf and all those all those old blues blues. Well, we listened to them too, you know. But uh, we were so categorized in, in this country. You know, it, blues was here, jazz was here, and then pop was here, R&B was there, you know. Yeah, and it really was the categorization that wasn't helping things. It's, isn't it strange and ironic that, this, that, that our great music here in the United States has to be reintroduced in that way? Yeah, yeah. That was what was so interesting about it. And uh, so for that, we truly applaud the Beatles. When you go back and listen to it, you can hear them loving the girl groups, of course, and of course Chuck Berry, whom they just uh, absolutely adored. 
No, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, they, they, they listen to all of the stuff over, over oh, here, yeah. you know, Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis mm-hmm. and all those guys. And they, they just they just fell into it and they would they would they would copy uh, yes. our songs and do them in, on their albums. And I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was all good stuff. I, one of the great things about the Beatles is that you can take their music and you can take it different ways. Because of their lyrics are so great, you know, and and that's what a lot of artists has, has done over here in the states. They've taken the Beatles' music and presented totally the way that they like to hear it too. And that was one of the things that that we were um, we were ex- we were excited about when we started working on our project was mm-hmm. taking some of the Beatles' music and and singing it in a different way that worked for us as mm-hmm. artists at this time in our lives. When we go back to the mid-1960s, though, where was the moment? Where was the idea when you got the germ of the concept of what would become the fifth dimension? That started at at the very beginning, you know. We were always interested in in jazz music, but we were always interested in R&B, and we were interested in how to put them all together. And Motown had a lot to do with with, uh, stimulating ideas and wanting to come up with something new and fresh and... uh, Listening to the, the the wonderful Motown artists like the Four Tops and the and the Temptations and the Supremes and mm-hmm. and you're listening to all that wonderful music and then you're trying to come up with a, a way of doing it in a little different way to give it a newer a new sound and that was what was very um, that that's what really uh, encouraged and in, and stimulated the fifth dimension. And then we were working with some wonderful people, too, like uh, Bob Alcivar, who who uh, came up with some wonderful arrangements for, for the group when we were singing together, and Bones Howe, our producer. Mm-hmm. You know, we always had creative people around us who uh, were um, suggesting directions and what have you. And then Jimmy Webb. Yeah. Jimmy Webb yeah. came along with Up, Up, and Away, uh, which was, of course, our biggest our biggest first hit to introduce us to, to the world. And uh, Jimmy's ideas and Jimmy's music was just so stimulating. But, then not, but not only that, Ken, then we had, even for our live, that, that was our recording stuff, but even for our live shows, we had a music conductor by the name of Renee DeKnight, who had worked with the Delta Rhythm Boys years ago. He came in and taught us all kind of different arrangements uh, and how to do things on on stage live. And and so we were influenced by all of this. When we return, we'll hear more from Marilyn and Billy, especially about Up, Up and Away and how that song first came about. And then how they took Silly Love Songs, a much ballyhooed Paul McCartney tune, much maligned at times, and staged their own revival. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back with Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. So when you guys began to formulate the fifth dimension, as history has shown us, the world was really ready for a group that would bring vocal music to the fore, correct? 
Well, it, in a way it was, I would say, but uh, we at, the, at that particular time, we didn't know, we didn't look at it like that. We were just busy learning and, 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 and enjoying the different sounds that we were getting yes. as a group, you know, and we knew the sound was different, but, but we were locked into that and we were enjoying it. You know, and we weren't trying to analyze what no. made our sound different. We just knew that we enjoyed singing together. And Billy came in with his gospel background, and I was a pop singer from my background. And Florence was uh, involved in in jazz, and and Ronald, uh, Ronald had more of an operatic sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and Lamont came in with his with his musical background, right. and and we just and then just people put it all together. Started talking about creating that fifth dimension sound. They used to ask Bob Alcivar, well, why don't you write an arrangement for us so that we can have that, that fifth, fifth dimension, dimension sound? sound. Yeah. And then he'd write an arrangement for them, and then they'd listen to it, and they'd say, well, um, that's not... Nice. sound like the fifth dimension. That's not the fifth dimension. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob would say, well, uh, well, you know, those are five different voices that, that give the group the sound that's, that's different from what, from, from what you've been hearing. You know, and, and you can't just recreate it by putting five voices together. It has to be those, those voices. voices. Right. <laughs> and, and yeah, the, and, and it, it was so different. And when you go back and look in that look at that period closely, you know, it was such a competitive uh, terrain, right? I mean, you had all sorts of different genres and styles competing for people's ears. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I didn't mean to suggest it was a strategy in a bad way. I just I think it's brilliant because it was such a different sound than. Yeah. Well, yeah, we weren't. Yeah, we were just what we were just talking about was the experience that we were having at that time and and not trying to give them a new sound. We were just giving them. Our sound. <laughs> well, you know, we didn't know how different the sound was until later, until a lot of people kept telling us, you know, we had, we haven't heard a, a, another sound out there like the Fifth Dimension since since we haven't been been to Fifth Dimension. You know, we just haven't heard that sound again. We, we say, well, we don't know if it was because of the five people. But, you know, Ken, it was an exciting musical time because, like you said, there were just so many different sounds, different artists, different directions. And uh, it was just a really exciting time because you never knew when you put something out whether or not people were going to like it or not like it. And they might like this one, but they might not like that one. But, of of course, with the other wonderful artists out there, Smokey Robinson and people like that, you know, you just never knew what was going to click. Right, and something new was coming along every day, you know. When you all the time, time, all yes. the time. Yes. You, know, you look at the charts; it was hard for, you know, what was it? Hey Jude, that was number one for eight weeks. The reason why that was a feat is because, well, first of all, it's hard to be number one, but also uh, to be able to sustain that with so many other songs coming at you and 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 sounds and new sounds is is really quite marvelous. And I love that comment. You know, there hasn't been anybody uh, that has. Uh, showcased in a way uh, such very different vocal styles uh, since the fifth dimension. That's a real lack in uh, in our musical tapestry of, of the day and of the day for a long time. Switching gears for a moment, uh, we've got to turn and talk about silly love songs. You guys have tackled a song that has been much maligned for many years now, and you made it your own. You brought it back. Tell me about that one. I know, but you know what? I, that's, 
I enjoy silly love songs. I guess I'm just a love nut. But uh, I like what it has to say. I mean, silly love songs, you know, you, why not? I mean, what, what's wrong with that? You know, people want to enjoy silly love. Hey, what, what is love about then? <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we grow up wanting to marry one another. We have to fall in love. You know, so, I mean, what's wrong with Silly Love Song? And, and Kenneth, you know, um, we were doing, we opened a, 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 a show that we were doing uh, because we were testing some of the, the uh, songs before we, um, before we decided to go with it. And one of them was Silly Love Songs. Uh-huh. And we started singing that song and the audience was just so they were jumping. with it. They yeah. were, they loved it. They responded in such a positive way. And that was like, okay, well, this is definitely a, let's put a check by that one. But you know what? One of the ironic things about silly love songs is that when 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 Marilyn and me had out, uh, uh, you don't have to be a star to be in my show, and it and it and it hit the charts at number one, and and we thought, oh man, we can stay in the charts. We could, we sure hope we stay in there for a while, and then before we knew it, we were knocked out of the box of number one by silly love songs by Wings, Paul McCartney and Wings. <laughs> <laughs> And so here we are doing it again, you know, so. Well, great songs are like that, aren't they? they they're they immediate. They're arresting. They communicate joy instantly. And your music has done that over and over and over again. Like I said, first time I heard Up, Up, and Away, I knew it was destined to be uh, a personal favorite of mine forever. It's one of those songs that if you're in the car and you're listening to the radio, you don't get out until till the thing's over and you've enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> well, you know, you know what, That's Ken? Great. A funny thing was uh, when we first heard Up, Up, and Away, and uh, Jimmy Webb had just come back from a, a hot air balloon festival that was yeah, down in Palm Springs, Springs yeah. and he was so excited about it, and he had watched these hot air balloons, and he was so inspired and he wrote this song that he wanted to play for the group because we were working on our first album together. And he played the song and it was just such a happy song mm-hmm. and it made everybody in the group feel so good. Yeah. And so then Jimmy said, what do you think about it? And we said, oh, that's a beautiful song, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. It'll never be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> but it sure makes you feel good. So how did it come to pass that Up, Up, and Away made the Fifth Dimension debut LP? What was it about the song that kept it in the running? And that, that, uh, that dump, 
There's something about that that just lifted everybody's spirits. Yeah. And we just thought it was such a beautiful song. But like you were talking about Led Zeppelin and then the groups that were protesting uh, the war in Vietnam and everything. We just felt like there's just no way that a beautiful song like that with those happy lyrics and that wonderful feeling will ever be a hit. <laughs> I think I think that's what did, that's what did it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But everybody started hearing it, and, and they said, "Oh man, we can be on the we can be on the freeway and bumper to bumper, and you're trying to get home so you can have dinner." And then all of a sudden, up, up and away would come on, and it would make them happy, and they'd forget where they were. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you guys are right back on top again with uh, Aquarius, right from Hair, which was playing on Broadway at the time. We had the opportunity to really go and see that play. And that's where we heard the song. And once we heard the song, we knew that that, that, was, that song, was, we, we needed to do that song. We felt like that was yeah. a fifth dimension song. Yeah, we felt, we felt like uh, uh, this, this is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. We thought it was going to be a, a major hit. We took it to our producer, Bones Howe, and said, oh, we, we feel like this could be a big fifth dimension record. So Bones said, well, it's been recorded already. He said, but let me take it home and listen to it for a bit and see, see what I can come up with. And then he came up with the idea of putting that together with Let the Sun Shine In, which just lifted the song into into the stratosphere and then told Billy, okay, Billy, now go in there and, and take it to church. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it turned into a hit. I mean, we, we just never expected it to happen like it did, but of course we were delighted. Yeah. Well, and of course you were surrounded by a veritable all-star cast of musicians. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We had, we had, we had, Hal Lane we had and Larry Nectel and great musicians. Yes, uh-huh. I mean, we the, 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 yes. the producers made sure that we had great musicians. They, oh, they, yeah. they, they, they use them. They, they, they were our musicians. <laughs> they, were, they were great musicians for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, the Wrecking Crew. The, the wrecking, wrecking Crew. crew. Right, right. Hal Blaine, Larry Necto. Mike Dacey. Joe Osborne. Yep. Yeah, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, it never hurts to have a really thoughtful and insightful producer. We had a really good, a wonderful run with, with Bones Howe yes, producing us. Bones had, Bones had a golden ear. He, he heard songs that he just knew were going to be hits. And uh, we'd go into the studio and record them, and, and, and they would do so well. We ended up working with him with Laura Nero's songs, mm-hmm. uh, Stone Soul Picnic, uh, marry me, Bill. Wedding bill, bill blues. blues. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, I mean we had a, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, successful time of Run recording with him. Right. So, what was it like then um, in this new album when you would go in to work on these tracks? What was? Did you have a process that you'd work in with your millennial producer? <laughs> you know what? Uh, what? What? Now, did you record this pre-pandemic? Yeah, some of it. Yeah, some of it. Yeah, yeah, most of it was pre-pandemic, and then a lot of it was done with 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 kind of taking our masks down and 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 trying to finishing up, you know. Yes. But uh, you know, one one of the things that uh, speaking of this new album, uh, and and going back with uh, one of the songs, "Ticket to Ride," which makes the Beatles' song so different, where you can take them different ways. 
is is like Ticket to Ride was I, I recorded that with on our second album with the Fifth Dimension because Jimmy produced it, Jimmy Webb produced it. And then we turned around and put Ticket to Ride on this new album, but we had the opportunity to do it a totally different way. We done it totally in a total blues, down home blues way. And it's getting a lot of response from a lot of the a lot of uh, different radio stations all around the country, and especially in the South. <laughs> what brought you to just like starting over the John Lennon song? Well, actually, that was I guess the lyrics. Yeah, I, the lyrics I, I, in the song because I mean, well, we had in our age, mm-hmm. it is almost just like starting over again. But 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 we're not. We've been performing. We've been out there. But we haven't been recording. This is the first recording we've done for a major label in how long? What, uh, it's it's been about thirty about years. Yeah, about yeah. thirty years. Yes, you know? indeed. And uh, and all of a sudden it's taken off. And it, and when we heard, just like starting over, we was doing the album. We said, hey, you know, this would be a great song to do because it is just like a starting over again for a major doing something major. Yeah, and and Nick was Nick liked that song in particular, and I I said, well. Okay, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and and it was and it was it gave us another chance to do something different. Of course, it holds a special place in the story of John Lennon because it's uh, you know it's the last singles release before his senseless murder. Mm. Mm. Wow! In fact, it's like so much of so many of the deaths that you talk about uh, on the record sleeve of this album and in the video, uh, absolutely senseless and unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just a lot of that could have been prevented just, just because we're human, you know? Yeah. And, and then you've got the long and winding road, which I think of a lot. Um, when I think about our, our various crises in the contemporary world about how it's such a long road and we never seem to quite get there. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah, yes, it just uh, it's, like we we end up right back where we where we started at. Yeah, that that song really that really that song really spoke to me. Oh, it's this beautiful song. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when you first heard Blackbird? Was that in '68 with the White Album? Actually. Yeah. Well, it was it was during that period. Uh, with with so much going on and we just really uh, when we started listening to that lyric it was like it really touched us in a way uh, it wasn't so much thinking that it came from this album or that album it was the song that stood out by itself because of what it was saying and how it was really uh, talking about what was happening in our country and uh, yeah. it spoke to us in a powerful way Well, your new cover version of Blackbird is going to speak to a lot of people in a very powerful way for a long time. I've got to say, it's uh, of all of the hundreds of cover versions I've heard of the song over the years, yours is right there uh, with the original version. In many ways, it's like you've taken it to a new dimension. Why why does that have a ring to it? It rings in our ears. (laughs) Thank you so much, Billy and Marilyn, for making today's show so special. We'll see you again soon. Everything 
Fab Four is presented by Salon.com, the premier news, politics, innovation, and arts website. For more information about the podcast, visit everythingfab4.com, where you can learn more about our podcast and my latest Beatles-related book, John Lennon 1980, The Last Days in the Life. The Everything Fab Four theme song, Seize the Day, is provided courtesy of Black Rabbit, the high-octane Beatles cover band and innovative psychedelic rock project from Rockaway Beach, Queens in New York City. Like what you heard today on Everything Fab Four? Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, and recommend the show to your friends. Plus, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EF4 Podcast. Distributed by Salon, Everything Fab Four is a wonderful production with editing and post-production assistance from music industry and communication students at Monmouth University. Remember, it's a Beatles world and everyone has a story.